Hey, thank you guys. I'm going to steal this music stand, you guys. I'm going to put it back. You guys all right today? Yeah. Yeah, my goodness. The week's half over. All the assignments are in. You've paid somebody to do your papers. You're in great shape. I want to confess before I get started that this may seem a little chaotic, a little bit mystical, and just kind of weird to some of you. I changed my mind about 5.30 this morning, decided to talk to you about something else. In just a few moments, that should become apparent. What I want to talk about today are weddings. that all right? Now, there are a few enthusiastic people in the room about that, but as I mentioned the subject to John before the the, the chapel started today, he said, uh, you know, if you're going to talk about weddings, why don't you just throw it open? Anybody want to get married? We just do it right now. <laughs> there anybody in the room that would like to get married, you just find the person in the room, bring them down here, and we'll do this. You might want to tell them first <laughs> that you were watching. Now, my purpose is to try to reenact the wedding, and the reason is because over the years, I've done more than 300 of these, and I've become kind of familiar with how weddings happen, and I've noticed that when they train you how to do weddings, they don't actually tell you what weddings are. Weddings are not all just about two human beings coming together. Weddings are like a window that peer into deeper mysteries. Most of the time, when people your age think about weddings, you think about sex. If it's okay, we ain't going to talk about that. I, after you get married, I hope you have lots of it, but... But we're going to... We're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about the wedding that happens before the marriage. I noted, first of all, when I started doing these things, that the story of the Bible can be told in lots of different ways. But one of the most compelling ways is that it can be told through the lens of a wedding. If you think about it, the whole Bible opens up in the Garden of Eden in a wedding. The entire Bible closes in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, with a wedding. Right smack dab in the middle of the Bible, in John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle is in Cana of Galilee, and it happens to be at a wedding. That's not an accident. John says he did this as his first, that means overarching miracle. That is to say all other things that Jesus does in his life can be interpreted through the lens of a wedding. You can reinterpret the entire scripture through the movements and the language of a wedding. So I'm going to try to reenact that for you. Most Weddings happen with three movements, all of them. Christian, I'm talking about, and now it's going to be evident how old-fashioned I truly am because the words that I use come from about 1887. Uh, they start 
with the presentation of the bride who comes down the center aisle and starts moving towards the altar. That's the first movement, the presentation of the bride. Once they get to the altar, they go into the second movement, which is the movement toward the altar itself. All Christian weddings occur at an altar because it's in an altar that heaven and earth touch each other. This is why you don't do this in a field. You don't do it in a barn. You don't even do it in a sanctuary if there's not an altar. Because an altar in the Christian tradition is a thin place where humans can reach into the eternal and what is eternal can come into this world. So the vows that we say are always said in front of the altar. So those are the first two movements. There's the movement where the bride is presented, and then there's the second movement where the vows are exchanged, and after the vows are exchanged, there's the third movement where the bride and the groom then leave the platform and they go back into the community. At the very beginning of the wedding, the groom is already standing on the platform with the preacher waiting for the bride to appear. There is this moment at the beginning of a wedding where the back door swings open and the bride presents herself to come down the center aisle. She moves from the community. This is why she does not just suddenly appear on the stage this is why she doesn't come in from the side or swing in on a vine. She comes through the community that is presenting her to the husband. At her side is the father who was part of her creation. He was there when she was conceived. He was there her entire life. All things relevant to her happiness and security have been in his hands. What you all can see is the face of the groom while he stands. He's a little bored. He's nervous. And then when that back door kicks open and he looks back there and he sees that bride, mm, mm. <laughs> that old boy got some confidence now. I can't see that because he's a few steps in front of me. But what I can see that you never see is the face of the bride. When that door swung open, that bride's entire look changes. Over 300 or more weddings, I have married several brides. Well, not myself, but <laughs> I was there. I've married off brides who were drop-dead gorgeous. I've married off brides that were mediocre. 
in, right now, I think I'm in a hole, and I'm not sure. <laughs> I know where I'm going with this. I have, over the years, I've married off um, brides who were, um, and I'm, I'm going to be dead serious here, they were, they were not very attractive. And, and no, wait, wait. They knew it. They knew it. Because the other thing you guys couldn't see is when we were doing counseling before the wedding, she couldn't even lift her head. She can't stand up straight. Since she was a little girl in grade school, she's been picked on because of her looks. She's been attacked because of this goddess myth that the Americans worship in women. And she's never measured up and she knows it. She does not want to be in this dress. She does not want to march down in front of all these people. But all of a sudden, that back door opens and she catches sight of the groom. And when she sees him, <laughs> it's like everything changes. She suddenly has confidence. She has a beauty that she has never felt before. And do you know why? Not because she has found it in herself, but because when she saw the groom, he gave her that beauty. Her beauty is in the one she's marrying, not in herself. It's amazing. That's a different kind of love. It's not a love that you give to somebody else. It's a love that they call out of you. They don't love you because you're beautiful. You're beautiful because they love you. Ain't that amazing? Man, you guys are too quiet. Ain't that amazing? I mean, that is a transformation in personality when she sees the look on the groom's face. Now she comes down to the front. Her father is at the side. It's near the end of the first movement. And there's this really tender moment when the father has to present his daughter to the groom. And they stumble over this. I've seen men over the years, these big, strong, strapping men, nothing scares them. And suddenly they're going to give their daughter away. And man, they are a pool of tears. They are a hot mess standing here. It's four words, her mother and I. And I'll say to them, who gives this woman to be married to this man? I'm thinking, dude, this ain't hard. Her mother and I. And he's like, he's, finally I'm going, dude, just say I do. So he goes, I do. And all of a sudden, and note this, he never drops her arm. She is never without the arm of someone. Before the daddy drops her arm, the groom comes down and he takes the other arm from the bride so that she simply goes from one person to another person.
And then they step up on the platform for the first time. And here at the edge of the platform, they start to declare their intent. This is what we call the declaration of intent, which is an answer to the question, what are you doing here? What do you want? So you hear vows of, will you this, will you, will you, will you? And they'll look at each other and they say, I will. After this, it moves seamlessly into the second movement, which is the altar. When they get in front of the altar, they're not just making promises. They're making vows. A promise and a vow are two different things, people. A promise can be made anywhere. It can be made in a field or in a lobby, in a car. But when you make a vow, you make it in the presence of God. When you make a promise, you simply tell people what your intentions are in the future. This is how I will act towards you. But when you make a vow, you are giving part of your soul to that person. So if you break a promise, you ruin your reputation. If you break a vow, you break you. Part of your soul is torn. You can heal, but you will never be the same. When we make promises, there are things that we say to the other person, but when we make vows in front of an altar, we are asking God to come into this relationship so from this day forward, my relationship is no longer just with that other person, it is also with God. I will never do anything to my wife that I am not also doing to God. He is part of the union. He no longer knows me as me. He knows me as us. And so when we get to heaven someday, I will not present myself before God. My wife will present me. She'll say, Jesus, I had him a long time. And if you think he's bad now, he was worse. but this is what I've done with him. This is what I've done with him. What do you think? What I'm telling you, you guys, is that in marriage, a third entity comes into the relationship. It is neither you nor them. It is the two of you. And that is a soul unto itself. And when these words are exchanged at an altar, you are invoking God's presence himself into the language and into the union that you are forming. Are you still with me? It's too quiet. After this, the pastor prays. They join their hands and the pastor lays his hands over the top of theirs, symbolizing the authority of the church is now being put onto the couple. 
People often ask me, where in the wedding is the magic? Where's the big moment when it happens? There are two moments. One is when the couple exchanges vows, and the other is when the pastor calls down from heaven the blessing of God on this union. Let the record show both of these occur in front of an altar. Once the prayer is done, the wedding then moves from the altar back into the people. Here is where the husband and wife, now as one unit, one person, they go from being just their individual selves into being one, and the church gives them back to the community where they came from. This is why they don't run out the side door, jump in a limo, and drive away. She came from the body. She leads into the body. Six years ago, I gave my daughter away in marriage. I was... <laughs> there was one moment where I lost it. And it was at the giving away of the bride. Because I realized at that point that everything relative to her happiness was in my hands. And we were tight. And I had just given her to him. Which means I had no more power. And then, as I said the words, I said to the congregation, I am sending my daughter and her husband back into your hands. Don't drop her. Take care of her. I realized she'd be going to a church in Wisconsin and, uh, and if I was afraid because I didn't know the church and if something didn't go well, I thought by the time I can intervene, you know, do the, it'll be too late. She'll be a mess. So with great fear, I said, here they are. Please be good to them. And as they came off the platform, the entire congregation, without asking, stood to their feet and erupted in applause. And I just remember thinking, oh, thank you, God. She's going to be all right. Now, I've given you the three movements of a wedding to make a point. You guys are talking about the Ten Commandments, aren't you? Some of you interpret the Ten Commandments as a set of laws. We obey them out of duty or God will punish us. Others interpret the commandments as a gift we obey them out of wisdom or life will punish us. But there are a few of you who interpret the commandments as a vow. You obey them out of loyalty 
Because when that back door swings open and you look to the front and you sue Jesus Christ, there isn't anything you wouldn't give him. So you come onto this little platform that we call the pageant of salvation and you stand at an altar and in the presence of a cloud of witnesses, you exchange these vows and you do it with energy. You say, I will never, ever have any other gods before you because there are none. I will never bow down to an idol. I will never look to anything else for my happiness except for you. I will not make any graven images. I will not profane your name. I won't speak of you superfluously in public. I will honor the day that you gave me. I'll honor you. I won't kill because your life, I won't commit adultery, I won't break my vows because you keep yours. I won't steal because you provide. I won't lie because you're the truth. And I won't covet because you give me all good things. Are you tracking? This is a fundamentally different way to think about your salvation. Some of you came into this room or out of churches believing that salvation was like a courtroom trial where you'd committed sins against an angry God and now you had to deal with the wrath of God. Boy, thank you for Jesus because he stands at your side like a defense attorney and he brokers a deal so you can get clemency from the wrath of God. Now you don't have to be punished because he was punished in your place. And so for you, for you, salvation is about a courtroom. All of life is a drama and it ends in a courtroom with God the judge on the bench and the defense attorney at your side. Can I give you another way? All of life is a middle aisle and it ends at an altar and the one who created you is not just your judge, he is a father who stands at your side who can't wait to give you to the groom. This changes everything. It means salvation is not about heaven. It's about union. Sin is not a transgression of the law. It's an act of disloyalty to the one with whom you have a covenant. Holiness is not about piety and being good. Holiness is about semblance, becoming like the person you married. All of life is not characterized by worship where you bow down before a sovereign king. It is characterized by joy 
where you live with someone that you actually want to live with. You live with them because you want to live with them. If you don't want to live with them, what the heck are you doing? Covering your transgressions? Prayer is not standing and throwing up our requests before the Father. Prayer is a conversation between two people who know each other and love each other at an altar. Ain't that beautiful? I think about four people in this room are liking that right now. Me and three others. This changed my entire view of salvation. And by the way, it means, because I've seen this too many times, when a person gets to the end of their life and they're nervous, they're laying there and they're afraid because they're about ready to, to leave this world and go up and meet God. Gosh, I hope he's in a good mood. What this means is that on the day before you die, you're like a bride on the night before her wedding. You're nervous, but you ain't afraid. Because you know him. Oh, what I want for you this morning is a view of salvation that is so much bigger than just the meeting of some demands for justice, the covering of some sin that you can't stop committing. I want you to be wooed into a relationship with the church. Because someday the Father going to stand with the church at his side. You want saved, honey, get in it. With the church at his side, and he will present that church to the groom, Jesus Christ. And they'll walk up to an altar, and they will exchange vows to one another. And when those vows are exchanged, the Father will turn, and Christ and his bride will walk out into the cloud of witnesses. Oh, what a day. My last church, I uh, had a woman that um, came very close to our family. Her name was Stella. I think she was 75 years old when we started in this. I was just a young pastor, had two small kids. Stella was a single woman, lost her husband by death several years before. She was a godly woman. Every time I'd preach, I'd come to church the next morning on Monday, and it was like an oral defense. She was raising questions about what I'd said and what does that mean, and we'd spend hours on Mondays working out the meaning of what salvation was, and she had questions about heaven and questions about life, and I had questions 
Whenever there was a tragedy in our life, it was Stella that I turned to. When my kids needed prayer, I brought them to Stella. When there was a death in our family and I watched my kid just sit there and sob, I came apart as a dad watching my boy just sob one day outside. I needed counseling. I went in to see Stella. I sat down for two hours and just vented. And she healed my soul. I moved away from that city, came down to Marion. And when I was here, I started to keep my word that when I leave, I don't go back and perform ceremonies. So I went up one day, just touring around. I stopped in to see Stella. She was there. She said, I can't tell you how long I've waited to have this conversation. We sat there on the deck, looked out over Lake Huron, and we started talking about the meaning of salvation and the meaning of heaven. It was just like old times. I looked at my watch and said, Stella, I got another appointment. I got to leave. I got up, walked out the door, and um, drove away. I never saw her again till the night she left. I got a call one night down in Marion that said, Pastor Steve, Stella's dying. You should know this. She has said that she'd like to have a conversation with you one more time if you can get that in. I said, I will be there in four hours. I got out, we jumped in the car, and my wife and I drove back up to Port Huron. And by the time I got there, she was in a coma. Laying in her room, we went into the room. I stood next to the bed and uh, about lost it, you guys. Um, we held hands, I, I cited scripture, and, and, uh, and then I prayed. And then I turned to leave, and that was when I noticed it. It won't mean anything to you. And when I turned to leave, I looked back, and I saw her laying on her side, curled up like this in a fetal position, unconscious, dressed in a white nightgown. I said to my wife, look at that. What? She said, I said, Stella, she dressed in white. We used to talk about heaven and salvation all along. She's about to find out what happened. Not long after I left, the father came and picked her up, put her at his side. stood in front of an altar and when the preacher said who gives this woman to be married to this man the father said the church and I up they went We drove partway home, found a motel. It was late. It was 6 o'clock in the morning when I got the phone call. It was her daughter. She said, Steve, you ought to know that uh, mom left. I said, um, I'm so sorry 
for us. By the way, um, when did she leave? She said, oh, about an hour ago. Why do you ask? I didn't tell her I didn't have the nerve. And you're going to think I'm out of my mind. It's because an hour ago, I was laying in the bed with my hands over my stomach like this. And I felt something tap my hands. I woke up. Sure, it was my wife. She was sound asleep facing the other side. Wasn't hurt at all. Something woke me up and I didn't know what it was. So when I said, what time did she leave? She said, an hour ago, why do you ask? Finally, I had the nerve and I said, well, it's because I think, I think she stopped by here before she went. When I got home, they called and asked if I would do the funeral. I don't do funerals for churches that I've left. I prayed about it. I thought about it. I decided to break my pattern. It's the only funeral I've ever done for a church I wasn't in. And I want to close by reading to you the text, the scripture for that funeral. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder. They were shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen and bright and clean was given to her to wear. Fine linen, he says, is the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then he added, these are the true words of God. People, this is how much the Father loves you. That you are the very bride of Christ. And while it's not yet clear what you will be, we know this. When he appears, you will be like him because you'll see him as he really is. And those of us who have this hope purify ourselves. Thank you very much for letting me spend the morning with you. God bless you.